How's that for a false start? Oh, boy. Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. And you got your Greek flex in. I did get my Greek flex in. Yeah, it's kicking my butt. That's okay. It's good. It's good to to work through it. To be challenged. To be challenged. Get your brain stretched. But, uh, yeah, it's not... Uh, it's You know what it's like, Tim? It's like... I f- it's like code breaking. It is. It's like I've been given tools to see patterns and themes, and I know enough about it to kind of try to work it out, but it's still, you know, it's all Greek to me, essentially. And technically, that's what language acquisition is. I guess that's true. Right. Yeah. Code breaking? Yeah. I'm like a hacker of the Koine Greek. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know if that works. Alex would understand it more than I would. I, I don't understand computer things. Yeah, yeah. It's not an, it's not an easy thing. No, but that's why that's why every seminarian learns it, and the greatest majority of them, after they get into pastoring for a few years, are like, I don't remember much. <laughs> yeah, it's something yeah. you got to stick with if you're going to keep it. Yeah, it's not like riding bicycle. Mm. That's for sure. Today, our chat is not about Greek. It's not. Today's chat is again about the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Question number 47, does the Lord's Supper add anything to Christ's atoning work? Mm. Why does that matter? Well, because some people say it does. (laughs) And if it does, then there's a significance to the Lord's Supper Mm -hmm. in an effectual towards the contribution of our salvation Mm -hmm. that really matters. Sure. And we need to know that. Yeah. Oh, if totally. there's not, we want to avoid the false teaching of it. Mm-hmm. That's why it matters. That's why it matters. And how does it go wrong? Well, it goes wrong in a couple of ways. And, and historically, there's, there's kind of one primary reason. At least you go far, far enough back in history. Um, the whole idea of the Lord's Supper, what it is, what it achieves, um, has been a hotly debated question. Um, throughout church history and even today there's there's not um, a real consensus mm-hmm. even among some Protestant churches there's not and there's not a real consensus on on where we stand yeah on, on I would say is. I would say even amongst fellowship of evangelical Baptists mm. pastors mm. there's a bit of a difference there yeah a, a nuance nu- a nuance difference nuance but a difference. difference yeah sure sure yeah I'm with you on that yeah, so essentially it stems from this teaching. Um, let's go back to the beginning here. The, the Roman Catholic teaching of transubstantiation. Mm. It's a nice big fancy word, which essentially means that the, in this case anyways, that the bread and the wine are literally changed into the literal body and blood of Christ in a physical way. Because is means is. Yeah, so you are literally feasting on the body and drinking the blood of Jesus in a literal way when you take communion by Roman Catholic understanding. Right, and so the reason I say is means is is because the argument is when Jesus says, this is my this body, is my body mm-hmm. and this is my blood, mm-hmm. he doesn't mean these represent my body and my blood. 
he means these are. <laughs> right. This is the thing. <laughs> Case closed, right? I mean, I guess that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and and to some degree, the reformers who are going to come along and say, not transubstantiation, mm-hmm. but consubstantiation and things like that, mm-hmm. are also going to play that argument of is means is. Yeah. So uh, in a different way. So we have, yes, yeah, so we have to define our terms there. So consubstantiation is essentially this middle ground where it's like, well, it doesn't totally become the literal body and blood of Christ. But it it still is in a spiritual way while, you know, in a material sense, still being just bread and wine or juice. Um, and so there's a, a spiritual feeding that, that, that Christ is present in the Lord's Supper in a, in a spiritual way. Right. And this is, this is the great divide between Luther and Zwingli mm-hmm. to begin with. Yeah. So two reformers from the beginning meet together to figure out whether or not they can join Reformation forces. Right. And they get to this particular question, mm-hmm. and they say, no. Yeah. No, we, we can't get together on that. Luther's saying consubstantiation, right? Mm-hmm. And Zwingli's saying representative, mm-hmm. right? There's no altering of the substance. Mm-hmm. Or the presence, mm-hmm. um, and Luther using, although not tra- transubstantiation level, but is means is, mm-hmm. and uh, making that argument for. And ev- I can't tell that, I can't go through that scenario without thinking of Luther and satire. Right, the, the sketch they do. Right, and so Luther <laughs> hammering it on, and then Zwingli <laughs> comes along, and he's like, no, you can't do that. And, <laughs> and then Zwingli accuses him of having his puny little reformation. <laughs> Luther saying, well, you, you keep saying is doesn't mean, mean something other than is. And, <laughs> and then, yeah, Calvin and Henry VIII show up, and it gets... It gets crazy, but yeah, it gets hilarious. Anyways, it's kind of it's the type of humor that people like you and I can laugh it's, at. And most of it's our so listeners, nerdy. it's so nerdy. Yeah, most of our listeners wouldn't care. Anyone, for it. even if we told people how to find that video on YouTube, they'd they be, would look it up and they'd be like, "This is the thing I was supposed to laugh about." What is this? Yeah, yeah. no, no, no. But essentially, here's here's where it gets sticky, particularly when we're dealing with the transubstantiation argument so that it's literally the body and blood or even even to some degree with the consubstantiation argument where it's the spiritual presence what then does the taking of the lord's supper do and what is it that is happening when it is being celebrated Mm -hmm. roman catholic doctrine because they believe in transubstantiation believe that when the priest blesses the elements when he lifts up the bread because it's a very ceremonial way they do i grew up going to catholic school bit of catholic background in my in my heritage uh when he lifts up the host which is what they call it and breaks it he's literally the body of christ is being broken again right and when the wine is poured out it's it's the blood of christ is being poured out again there is a, a re-sacrifice that is happening every time Roman Catholic Mass is celebrated in every church, every week, because typically they do it on a weekly basis. Um, Christ is being constantly re-sacrificed. And that, is, that might sound strange to people and extreme, but that is, that is the doctrine. Yeah. And the author of Hebrews 
the mystery, Myster- mysterious author of That's Hebrews. That's right. Who is it? Tells us that. Wait, the, time out. Time out. Sorry. Let's get into it. But first, who do you think wrote Hebrews? Oh. Do you have a take? Luke or Barnabas? Okay. Okay. I'm going to say not Paul. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think if it was Paul, we would know. Paul generally says, hey, it's Paul. Yeah. Hey, it's me, Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Where Hebrews, yeah, not so much. And yeah. there are also serious elements missing mm-hmm. that are always present in Pauline works. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of words used that are unique to Luke and Acts. Mm-hmm. So that's where I get that mm-hmm. from. Luke spent a lot of time traveling with Paul. Yep. So uh, that he would eventually teach mm-hmm. something other than just recording a history kind of makes sense. Same is true with Barnabas. Yeah. Um, I've heard the argument against Luke that, oh, well, Luke wouldn't have written Hebrews because Luke was obviously a Gentile, which has been the predominant view for a long time. But I we were learning in one of my seminary classes that that might not be the case. We're assuming things just because he likes to talk yeah. about Gentiles and talks about them in nice ways in the Gospel of Luke doesn't mean that he's necessarily ethnically a Gentile as well. So anyways. And, if, and even if he is. Yeah. Right, that he would, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a, yeah, anyways, uh, that was a total aside. I was just curious. Yes. <laughs> do, you have, do you have a thought? Do you have a position, a firm position? My position is uh, probably not Paul, and that's all I'm willing to say. Yep, I'm there too. So <laughs> that's, that's the firmness of my position. Yeah, anyway. probably not Paul. Anyway, anyway. Anyway, what is what is the this value, probably the, not Paul person have to say? The greatest value of the sacrifice of Christ is that it was once and for all mm-hmm. and not human. Yeah. And he leans hard on that, that under the law, there was sacrifice made repeatedly mm-hmm. because it was imperfect. Mm-hmm. But Christ is our once and for all sacrifice. And if the scripture wants to lean hard on that as a value, then there's no way we're re-sacrificing Christ to any degree um, in, in that, that Catholic form. Yeah, yeah, because how it's viewed in its Roman Catholic form is a is a topping up of grace, right? Right. So you are you are justified by faith, right? Within Roman Catholic doctrine, Jesus's sacrifice on your behalf is a thing, but the problem is, you know, he gets you back into the good spot, but through your own actions, you can kind of drop down below the mm-hmm. necessary acceptable level fades yeah and so you need that needs to be topped up and so that is done through confession penance communion primarily um and so it is a necessary thing to partake because you might be in a state that is out of grace right right um and yes you have faith right but because of your sin you're now kind of on the outside and this will top you up give you a little bit more of that body and blood of Christ in order to get back in. And for that reason, withholding communion historically, sometimes withholding communion from monarchs or even entire nations uh, by the Pope uh, due to political situations going on in Europe primarily was a thing. Just be like, hey, Sweden, you don't get communion anymore because you did a thing we didn't like. And and that would be it. It was also a thing to sell the indulgences. Well, that's a whole other yeah, and bag of potatoes. Which could include the sacraments, 
right? Withholding those things mm. for financial gain. Right. Um, yeah, and, and the argument then just being, you want God's grace or not? Yeah. You want God's free gift? Step in line. You got to pay up. Stay in line. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, yeah. Right. That, that's exactly it. Yeah, so so that's one way mm-hmm. this can go wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of the way the prime, it can go wrong, putting putting too much emphasis in it. Yeah. To be fair, when people get into issue of, I know that entire denominations are formed based on spiritual presence, no spiritual presence, degree of spiritual presence, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And and there are those who believe heavily on it that would say, no, this is definitely secondary. Mm-hmm. In my personal opinion, it's tertiary. Mm-hmm. Right. If someone wanted to come in and say, hey, I'd like to join your church. We agree on most things. I want you to know that I believe that uh, there's a bit of spiritual presence Mm. in the sacrament. Mm -hmm. I'd say or the the ordinances, I'd say, okay, yeah, I, I, I think I would agree with them to this point. Christ, the fellowship of Christ is present and strengthened as we are acting in obedience yeah. We're told to practice the ordinances mm-hmm. and that fellowship and obedience does strengthen that presence. Yeah. But I don't believe that there is a a bonus grace or presence that comes with the practice itself. Mm. And so that's where I think I if someone wanted to argue for some level of spiritual presence, mm-hmm. I, I could count it tertiary. Sure. Um meaning it's it's not primary. Mm-hmm. You're not a believer if you don't agree. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not secondary. We need to be in different churches, mm-hmm. but we're both consider each other believers. We could be in the same fellowship, yeah, the same church, and disagree on that. Yeah, I, I I think so. I think obviously obviously the the physical presence argument is a much bigger issue because of what it means is happening. Right. Um. But yeah, if someone were to say, I mean, I yeah, if someone were to say, you know, I think there is a a spiritual I mean I think there is a spiritual component inherently inherent in our obedience right as we're being led by the spirit to walk in obedience there are spiritual benefits to doing that so is there a benefit to participating in communion is there a benefit to being baptized 100% mm-hmm. but it's but we just have to you know there's nuance there as to what exactly is is happening and going on so yeah so the catechism says this. No. It says no. <laughs> and and for reasons we've already discussed, Christ mm-hmm. died once and for all. Mm-hmm. The Lord's Supper is a covenant meal celebrating Christ's atoning work, as it is also a means of strengthening our faith as we look to him and a foretaste of the future feast. Mm-hmm. But those who take part in unrepentant hearts eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Mm. So this first part we've pretty well covered. Yeah. Right? It is a covenant celebration because Christ died once and for all. That has been paid. Mm -hmm. This is a covenant celebration. Yeah, similar to what the Passover feast was. Right? The the Passover celebration Mm -hmm. wasn't the thing. Like the thing was that God brought his people out of Egypt, right? Right. That was the thing. The Passover feast was celebrated to remember that, right? Right. 
to as a, as a way to call back their attention to what God had done and to be grateful and thankful and hopeful in him. Yeah, right? and that's where Zwingli's statement to Luther, mm-hmm. where Luther would be like, no, the, definitely there's the spiritual presence. Zwingli's response is, it is a mere ceremony. It is merely a ceremony, but no mere ceremony. Right, right. Right? It, it's not more than a ceremony, but that doesn't mean that we devalue the ceremony. Yeah. Because the ceremony itself is monstrous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yet not effectual in any way. Right. And so that is the statement made on that. Now, it does strengthen our faith as we look to him. Sure. How does it strengthen our faith? So we are called by scripture, exhorted to remember what Christ has done for us right? Reflecting on who he is and what he has done on our behalf is a strengthening of our faith, right? right? And so, and that is inherently in the taking of the Lord's Supper because we are, I mean, as we read the scripture, as we talk about what these elements represent, we are reminded of the gospel. We are reminded of the atonement that was made on our behalf. And as we're reminded of those things, as we dwell on those things, um, our faith is strengthened. Right. In the same way that obedience towards ministry mm. and evangelism, prayer, mm. fellowship, all of those things also strengthen our faith. Mm-hmm. Right. The more we exercise and practice our faith, the more it's strengthened. It's a foretaste of a future feast. Mm-hmm. It's it's both a reflection and a foretaste. Yeah. Right. Um. Those who take part with unrepentant hearts eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Yeah. So yesterday, you said that you wanted to bring in a, another piece mm. um, about the issue of how much food right. needs yeah. to be done and, and how we, we do that. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. So as I was preparing for last week's podcast and this week's podcast, one of the primary passages in scripture that deals with this is the the latter half of 1 Corinthians 11. And this is where, you know, a lot of the passages that we get um, that are read, that the passages that we read, at least at our church during communion, it comes from this chapter. And Paul is kind of taking the Corinthian church to task over a couple of things that are going on. Um, Firstly, he, well, he gets into, you know, there are some who are gorging themselves while others go without, mm-hmm. um, and, and that is a problem, right? That, like that, that, that is an issue. Um, it's interesting. So in verse, uh, verse 33 and 34, where he's kind of closing out this section and he's giving this instruction, he says, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. Um, and about the other things, I will give direction when I come. And so included in this in this whole thing, for me, um, I get the sense that this isn't meant to be a meal that satisfies physical hunger. Okay. That's my interpretation of this. Sure. And, 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 and I already, like, we, you know, there, there's room for disagreement here because it's, you know, it's kind of this, this phrase that's thrown out. But the fact that if you're hungry, eat at home. 
Mm-hmm. This is this is not about. This is not a potluck. This is not a pizza party. This is not like oh, I'm so hungry, can't wait to get to communion to satisfy my physical hunger. This is about remembering something and satisfying something spiritual. So, you know, when people say, well, don't you know that, you know, when the Lord's Supper was celebrated, it was like a full meal and people would just pig out. I don't think it was. I don't, or at least I think if it was happening that way, Paul seems to be correcting that. Yeah. And and we we both have varying, we we land in the same place. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think we have different degrees of what that means. Sure. Right? Um, I, I, I feel like what Paul is saying, by and large, is that the ceremony matters more than the, the meal, the size of the meal, the mm-hmm. portions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for him, to, for what he's saying, in my opinion, is you flip that, right. and it's about your portions, you're showing up, and everybody's just sort of like you said, pigging out, mm-hmm. but there's no ceremony to it, mm-hmm. right? And you're eating and drinking condemnation upon yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, whereas you might say, if if there was even a full meal being given, um, Paul is correcting that. So so we might have different degrees of mm-hmm. of understanding on that, but what we would both land on is when people come in and say, hey, the early church was doing full meals and you're not doing communion if you're doing a little cup and a wafer. You need to be doing a full meal because that's what the fir- early church did. I'd say that's too much. Oh, yeah. That's, no, that's, sure. going, that's going further than Scripture goes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you're right. It, the most explicit evidence we have of that is in a condemnation. Yeah. So, But let me tell you about what this doesn't mean. Because there are other times that I hear this passage used. One, if a person has not been baptized, mm. but is taking communion. Right. Th- that is not the application of this. That's not. That is not as... Yeah, okay, let's... Because let's, let's flesh that out here. Because we've, we've mentioned that before, mm-hmm. this before, but I think it needs to be clarified. You know, we believe that baptism before participation in the Lord's Supper is appropriate and best practice. Right. Um, I people who have not been baptized who are who are taking communion are not eating judgment upon themselves. Right. Because yeah. that gets into acts of works. Sure. If yeah. you're going to say to someone, well, you had faith in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. but you took the bread and the cup before you took the dunk. <laughs> right. Right. Because baptizo. Right. Right. Submerged. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now that Martin's not here, we can say that. <laughs> uh, be- because you did it out of order, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's all for naught. Right. Right. That just doesn't fit uh, our understandings of how a person comes to be saved. Also, I've heard it said for some that they would take it to mean that non-believers who take communion. Mm -hmm. So you have a non-believer who uh, comes to church and that person takes communion because this is what everyone else in the room is doing and they don't want to be weird and pass on it and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So they take communion, um, but now they've eaten 
or drank judgment upon themselves. Mm. This is why closed communion and the fencing of the table has become, in some denominations, so pivotal, mm. right? This idea that you, you just can't do it. Mm. I fence the table to a degree to say best practice is, mm-hmm. right? This is the church gathered to express that we continue in the confession we made at our baptism. Mm-hmm. Best practices laid out. Mm-hmm. A non-believer is not condemned because they took communion before they were saved. Mm-hmm. They're condemned because they've not received the free gift of Christ's atonement Yeah, and place yeah. their faith in him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to argue otherwise would be to say that this person, because they took communion, now can never receive right. that right. because they have already been sentenced. But John 3.17 tells us we were all sentenced from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right? So mm-hmm. those things, I believe, are misapplied to that 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Yeah, I think... I think, yeah, that's, that's fair. I think we also do, though, have to acknowledge that Paul's talking about something pretty heavy here, mm-hmm. and we might not fully be able to understand where what he's getting at, but we can't just glaze over the things that we, we don't fully understand. For example, okay. when he talks about, you know, if you eat in an unworthy manner, you're going to be guilty. Okay. What exactly does that mean? Contextually, it seems to be connected to these people who were gorging themselves while others were going without, right? That the the Lord's Supper was not this communal thing. It was people bringing their own (laughs) packed lunch and gorging on it while others went without. And so there's something weird going on here that maybe we don't fully understand. Um, But then he says in verse 30, in regards to these people who are not taking communion properly he says that is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died Mm -hmm. i am not prepared to say what exactly he is talking about there okay i think you have two parts here okay let's talk to both of them okay the first thing you mentioned was that unworthy manner in context seems to have a limitation to that they've made it a party and not a ceremony Limitation might be too strong, but contextually it's connected to that, yeah. Okay. I think that if there were other consequences that were causing people to drink, eat and drink judgment upon themselves, Mm -hmm. they would be listed. Right. He wouldn't give a minority context of a local thing. Right. And then say, if you don't do communion the right way, you're eating and drinking destruction upon yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you there are other ways. I'm not going to tell you what they are. Right. Good luck figuring it out. Right. I hope you don't eat and drink <laughs> judgment. judgment upon yourselves. Yeah. Okay. And and only Corinth was blessed with that information so that they could repent. Right. The rest of us are left mm. to hope that we get it right. Yeah. So I, I think you have to tie it to the context. Right. So Paul is addressing a particular problem in a, within a particular right. group of people. Okay. So, so that's where I would say yeah. it has to tie to its context. There's no way of doing it another way. Yeah, that makes sense. Then he goes on to explain a little bit about what constitutes a worthy manner, mm-hmm. that you would examine your heart, mm-hmm. and that you would receive it in that way. Mm-hmm. So thus this, the repentance and the ceremony, mm-hmm. 
the that comes with the Lord's Supper rather than the laying of that aside. Mm-hmm. Now, can you become physically ill, even terminally ill, for the mistreatment of communion specifically? I mean, in this case, again, I'm trying to stay in the context. I mean, gluttony and drunken. I mean, you can give yourself liver disease, I suppose. I think you can it's get more ha- than heart disease from obesity, I suppose, right? Like, so I those are natural consequences. Yeah, I think there's more than natural consequence. Okay, I think that sin itself can be cause for God to say, mm. "I'm going to bring a stop." to this madness you have going on, Hmm. give you a little holy slap in the face Mm -hmm. and wake you up towards repentance. Sure. Bring you to the end of your physical self and have you contemplate things a little bit. Mm -hmm. I believe that's very much a case. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe we see that in the book of James. Sure. Right? He talks about sin and illness as being interconnected. Mm -hmm. Right? And, And I don't think it's absurd... Mm-hmm. For Paul to point that out in Corinth, mm-hmm. where they are taking a holy ordinance mm-hmm. and making it into a party. For sure. Now, I think we need to just p- press pause here for a second, because before we get angry emails, we are not saying, and I think I can speak <laughs> on behalf of Timur, we are not saying that all illness is directly correlated oh, no. to someone's individual no, no, no. sin. I know, and, and most people listening will know that, but you never know, someone might get bent into shape. Just let's mm-hmm. be clear. But what we are saying is that it's within the realm of possibility for God to use illness in response to like in, in in order to correct someone's sin or potentially even take someone in order to preserve his community. Yep. Um, that's what we see with Ananias and Sapphira. Right. Right. The, the, the church is new. The church needs to be protected. They need to be tight knit. There's a there's a very like it's very and vitally important for this church to be legit, particularly in these early days. And Ananias and Sapphira want to play loose and like fast and loose with God. And he's just like, no, you're out of there. Mm-hmm. We don't have space for you in this, in this right now. And so again, it's, so it's within in the realm of possibility for God to, to operate this way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and so the question then I think is going to be, well, am I sick because I'm sick? <laughs> or am I sick because of sin? Ask God. Yeah. Examine. Ask God to ask God to examine your heart. Yeah. And ask God to reveal it to you if mm. that might be the case. Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then it's okay. Right. Right. Yeah. It, you're dealing with a, a a physical illness as a portion uh, of what it means to live in a fallen world. Yeah. Right. Um, and so let it be that and nothing more. Yeah. If in that time. You say, hey, you know what? I do have sin in my life. I see that. Mm. I see where I've not been acknowledging God or practicing things that I shouldn't be practicing. Mm-hmm. Then what grace and mercy mm. to reveal that to you. Mm-hmm. Repent mm-hmm. and go to him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so there you go. There you have it. I got nothing else. You got, you got nothing else to I'm add good. To All right. <laughs> Next week the church nice thanks for listening this podcast is a resource of memorial baptist church in stratford ontario in cooperation with the gospel coalition of canada and is produced by alex walker see you later see you